If you have your uh, Bible with you, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Psalm 13. Uh, That's where we're picking it up here together this morning. It's the psalm that we just sang together this morning. We're continuing in this series uh, in the Psalms, continuing to press into the Word of God each week as we gather and worship. Not just like not just so we can check a box, right? Like that's not what Sunday morning is about. We're not trying to check off a box. We're not trying to fulfill some obligation. But we're here to truly draw near to the Lord our God who has spoken, right? I mean, that's why we're here is because God has something to say to us, to draw near to the creator of all things, right? To the one who doesn't need NASA's new fancy telescope to see thousands of light years away, which by the way, it just looks like marble or granite anyway. Um, But to the one who is just as present in that place as he is here right now with us this morning. Think about that for just a second, that the God who has spoken to us in his word is the same one who spoke all of creation into being. That's the one we're drawing near to this morning. So stand with me, if you will, and let's look at Psalm 13 here together. This is the word of the Lord to us. I pray that we have ears to hear. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long should my enemy be exalted over me. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that you set apart. Even in creation, you set this time apart for us each week to be here, to be together, to be with you, and to be with our brothers and our sisters in faith. Lord, we don't take this for granted. And so we pray that you would use this time to change us, to shape us, to fashion us, to make us look less and less like ourselves and more and more like our Savior, Jesus. Father, would you do that through your word this morning? We pray that in in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, You may be seated. This past week, uh, we celebrated the 18th birthday of our firstborn child. She's not our oldest daughter, but she's our firstborn. If you know our family, you kind of understand that. And birthdays are always a good time to sort of think back on different moments that stand out, you know, in the timeline of our stories. And 18's a pretty big one, man. Like, you know, she's an adult now. Something she's been diligent to remind us this week. Um, It also, I'll just say this, some of y'all are going to be like, you don't get to say that yet. But I'm telling you, I feel old. Like, we took a picture on her birthday morning, I was like, dang, who is that guy? That guy, he can't have an 18-year-old daughter. Anyway, it's sort of surreal because here, here's the thing. She's an adult, but we still remember all those little things, right? We remember the first bath, and we remember the first... It was in the sink, by the way, because we were those people. It was, we remember the first crawl. We remember the first steps. We remember the first words. We remember the first... Like, we remember the first day of kindergarten, right? We remember the, we remember the 
first stupid boy who came around trying to act like he deserved to be around our kid. Anyway, we remember all those things. And we remember, here's the other thing. We remember that first moment, right? Like that first sound. When Caden was born, she had a cousin who's about two years older than her. And we have this great clip um, of one of his great-grandmothers asking Coleman uh, what he thought of this new baby. And it was hilarious because he summed it up so perfectly with his little toddler voice. What He summed up what life is like with a newborn. He said, oh, baby Caden, cry. And that's so true, man. She did, right? We all do. That is how we come into the world. Have you ever thought about that? We come into the world kicking and screaming. It's always with a cry. And anything other than that, if a baby is born and doesn't cry, our natural assumption is that something is actually wrong. This is the natural way. I heard someone say one time, or I read it somewhere, that to cry is human. And if you think about it, that doesn't really stop. Now, we learn to hide it, right? We learn to contain it, but crying is a natural expression of of our fallen world human condition. It's the fallout of the sin in and around us. And so we are creatures of tears. And that's really how Psalm 13 begins. There's not a context set. There's not an explanation of what has happened. David doesn't offer any sort of voiceover narration as to how he got to this place. It just comes right in with how long Oh Lord. And what we should notice is that while David is clearly upset, what's happening in Psalm 13 is not just an angry outburst. Psalm 13 is not just a, the cry of a petulant child being dragged out of Target without a new trinket. And it's not the cry of like a spoiled, privileged king. But what Psalm 13 is, is it's a lament It's a lament of a child of God calling out to his Father in heaven. And that's different. That's different than just empty tears. You see, a lament is something different. A lament is not just an ordinary outburst. It's not just an emotional eruption, but it is an honest expression of the sorrow that we feel because of the pain, the loss, the frustrations, or even just the unanswered questions that we are, that are captivating and often, often, often contaminating our souls. It's a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. That's what a lament is. But at the heart of a lament is not just the one expressing it, all right, but the one to whom it is being expressed. And David isn't confused about who it is that he is crying out to. He says, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? And I know that's easy for us to pass over. He says it four times in there. How long, how long, how long, how long? I know it's easy for us to pass over. It's easy easy for us to see that and think very little of it. Because we're kind of used to it, right? Like we're kind of numb to this type of language. Okay, This this is church and we talk about the Lord a lot at church. But if we miss those opening words, if we fail to understand the gravity of what is actually being said in those first four words, it would be like us 
It would be like us missing the sign on the road that tells us that the bridge is out ahead. And, and we just kind of keep driving like there's nothing wrong. You know, if, and we, here's what it is. We don't want to crash, okay? And so let's be sure to hear this with all the weight it deserves. You see, what's happening here at the start of this prayer of lament, and that's what Psalm 13 is. What's happening here at the start is this establishing of the relationship. That's the very first thing that's happening. And when he says, how long, O Lord, there's an establishment of the relationship. And more than that, it's submitting to the reality of the relationship that God himself has established. How long, O Lord, is just as much a declaration as it is a question. And what Psalm 13 does, what David does here in this psalm, and it can make us feel a little bit uncomfortable as he demonstrates the intimate nature of a true relationship with the Lord. And that's something we need to remember as those who profess Jesus Christ as our Savior. You see, the gospel, unlike other religions, where the theme is sort of, uh, the, the theme of most religions, in fact, all other earthly religions, the, the, the theme of those is do this and you will be accepted, whatever this is. If you do this thing, you'll be accepted. If you do this, uh, God will take you in. If you earn this, God will welcome you into his house. And, and so pray this many times or fast this many times or take this many journeys or, or whatever and, and give, the, give this much away to the poor and the needy. If you do these things, if you check those boxes, then God will reward you. That is basic religion 101. But what the gospel says, okay, what the gospel says is that in Christ, okay, in Jesus, God came not to collect our good works as payments for his acceptance, but to give his own life as a ransom for our sins. And that's a fundamentally different exchange. You see, the economy of grace is always unbalanced in our favor because we because we have only sin to offer our Savior. We can't, we can't point to anything in our lives in exchange for the salvation that he offers. It's only the blood of Christ. It's what we told the kids here today. How can we be saved? Only by faith in Christ alone, by his substitutionary atonement in our place. That's the nature of our relationship with the Lord. It's covenantal with God being the sovereign party. He is the initiator and he is the guarantee of the covenant. That's Genesis 15. Going all the way back to Genesis 15 with Abraham, where God comes and makes a covenant with Abraham. You remember this scene? Abraham, oh, by the way, Abraham's asleep at the whole time. He's completely useless in the entire thing. It's the one where, uh, where we see the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch passing between the torn animals, this really weird scene. But what it is, is God is making this covenant. He's the one initiating. He's the one promising. And it's the same with David. It's all the Lord. And so Psalm 13, even in the sorrow, right, is a declaration of the nature of this covenantal relationship between the Lord and his people. And there's real angst in here. We can't miss that. David didn't write that. David did not sit down and write this as a lesson. He didn't sit there and go, here's what I need to do. I need to teach the people how to pray a lament. That's not what he was doing. He was just pouring out his life through a song of prayer, pouring out his soul to the Lord. 
and what this lament shows and what we were going to focus on here this morning is the vital components of a real relationship. Because that's what the Lord wants. He doesn't want us just to check boxes. He doesn't want us to just show up here on Sunday morning and go, yep, I did that. Now I'm gonna, now I've done my good deed. I'm going to do whatever I want. That's not what the Lord wants. It's not an exchange. What he wants from us is a relationship. And so the first component there is honesty. The second is intimacy. And the third is certainty. And we see all of them right here in Psalm 13. Honesty, intimacy, and certainty. So look back at verses 1 and 2 with me again. He says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? That's where David starts this lament. And again, we're we aren't given the context. Uh, Spurgeon thought it was probably during a season of discipline. That's what he thought. Probably because of some sort of sin that David had committed. Maybe it was the events of, of, uh, of 2 Samuel 11 where David took advantage of and abused Bathsheba. But we don't know for certain. And that's important. Because David in this moment, he's, he's not writing out of a, out a specific event. He's writing out of a specific emotion. This is what he feels And here's why we know. We know that because God can't forget. When David says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? That's not doctrine. That's David missing the boat, okay? Don't go, oh, God God forgot David. No, no, no. David feels like God forgot him, but God can't forget. An omniscient God can't forget anything. And so it's not like David has somehow slipped God's mind. It's not out of sight, out of mind, but that's what David feels like. Maybe you can relate to that, right? Maybe you've had seasons in your life where it has felt like that. Maybe you're you're in one of those seasons right now where it just feels like God isn't doing his part in your life. Now, we don't like to admit that, okay? We don't, at least not out loud, but that's where David is. That's where David is admitting it out loud. He feels abandoned. He feels neglected. He feels forgotten. And we know that because David makes it known. We know that because that's his confession. In verse 2, he's essentially going, all I have is me. That's what David is saying to God. Listen, why do I have to take counsel in my soul? All I have is me. It's the counsel of his soul. Nobody to talk to. But let's not miss the subtext of all of this. It's that even in those feelings, even in those feelings of abandonment, even in those feelings of neglect, David's, David in pain, feeling all of that, is making a proactive choice to talk to God about what is happening in his life. He's being honest with God about the hurt, about the fear, about the loneliness, and about the darkness of his present reality. And that's one of the first cores of all real relationships. It's honesty. Like that's true for us today. And not just in our relationship with the Lord, but in our relationships with one another. Over in Romans 12, Paul is writing to the church. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to, you can. Over in Romans 12, Paul is writing to the church and he makes these statements about the nature of the church. And he says this, here's what he says. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So present your lives uh, as uh, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's not one hour a week. That's not what he's talking about. 
All right, that's not the, this is not the sum total of worship for someone who is a follower of Christ. It is a daily practice, right? And, and notice how he addresses them. He calls them brothers. That's how Paul talks to the church there. And he calls them brothers or, or brothers and sisters. And, and a few verses later, he describes the church as a body. Here's what he says. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And I love what comes later in Romans 12. It's this beautiful reminder for us as we walk in this life together. Here's what he says. He says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Well, just on a practical level, on a practical level, there is only one way to do that. There's only one way to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. There's only one way, and it's to know that those people are brothers and sisters. It's to know whether they are rejoicing and to know whether they are weeping. That's the only way. You cannot rejoice with those who are rejoicing if you don't know they're rejoicing. And you can't weep. Now, by the way, we're good at the rejoicing part. Like, we love that part. We'll, have, we'll, we'll throw a baby shower in a heartbeat, right? We love that stuff. We rent out buildings when people are rejoicing in marriage. Like, we go all out on that, okay? But to weep with those who weep? For far too long, we have been conditioned to believe that the best thing that we can do is to keep all of that, all of that just sort of tucked away, right? We're like, here's one for the kids. We're like Elsa from Frozen, all right? It's taken me however many years that movie's been out to finally quote Frozen. By the way, most of my quotes about Frozen aren't real good. This one's gonna be okay. What did she say? Don't let them in. Don't let them see, right? That's the whole theme of the dang beggar song from the, don't let them know. Don't let them know what's really in your heart. Isn't that the like, theme of our world today. Don't let people really know your vulnerabilities. Don't let them know where you're afraid. Don't let them know where you're fearful. But the call of the Bible, right? The call. By the way, didn't Elsa just need a friend? Poor girl just locked in her room. Sorry, I'm still on Frozen. Um, the call of the Bible, right? The call of the Lord is to be honest about it, is to be transparent with one another. Listen, there is nothing, I will, I will tell you this, there is nothing that breaks my heart more um, as a pastor than a person that I know and love sort of vanishing from the body of Christ, sort of, sort of just ghosting us, and then to learn later that the reason that happened was because of some struggle that they were walking through and were too afraid to be found out. That is heartbreaking. That is anti-gospel nonsense that we walk through all the time because that's the way of the world, right? The Bible tells us to bring all our rejoicing, to bring all of our weeping, and not just to bring it to one another, but to bring it where? Where's David bringing it? He's bringing it to God. I want you to know this. like Your sorrow is not too much for the Lord. And, here's, and because we are the body of Christ, here's what that necessarily means. It means that your sorrow, your grief, your angst, your pain, your weeping, it must and shall not be too much for the church. God wants 
our honesty. He does. That's where a real relationship must and shall begin. Look at verse 3. Here's what David says. He says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. So here's the uh, second component of a real relationship. It's intimacy. All right? We said honesty, and now we're saying intimacy. And intimacy is much more than that which is confined to and prescribed for marriage, all right? So let's not get, let's not get confused here when we use that word intimacy. I know sometimes when we use the word intimacy, people kind of jump to one conclusion, but intimacy here just means closeness. It means proximity. It means familiarity. It means being present with one another. He says, consider and answer me, right? David is asking for relief. Listen, there, like, there's a humility in that. You, you realize that, right? For him to say, consider and answer me. There's a humility in that petition to the Lord. I was talking with a, a church planter um, a few weeks back, um, and, and he was asking me about some of the struggles of this work. And, and I, don't, I don't like, I really don't. Uh, maybe I, I don't know. I don't really consider myself to be a super prideful person. I actually think sometimes I err on the other side of that, maybe too much to a fault. I doubt more than I, more than I believe, and that's, that's a weakness in me. But I can tell you what I told him, that one of the most surprising struggles of gospel work is coming to terms with just how much help it takes to make anything happen. Anything, even the smallest little Thing. We were blessed with an absolutely incredible leadership team from the very beginning. These were people who met week after week after week to plan and to process and to dream and to pray. People who knew. Here's what they did, though. They knew and they accepted my limitations. That's the biggest thing they did was they sat in an office with me and heard me go, I don't know. And they didn't run out the door because I'm not a good enough leader. They were willing to pick up the burdens, and carry them where they could. We really, we really need to be careful that we don't lose that spirit as a church. The temptation, once you kind of have a place, and once you have officers, and once you kind of know what you're doing, is to start assuming everything and quit pursuing what the Lord has called you into as a church. Again, it's that Romans 12 commitment to love one another with brotherly affection. And outdo, I love this one, outdo one another in showing honor. It takes an intimate knowledge of one another to do that. Here's the plug. This isn't in my notes, but I'm going to do it. If you want to know how we do that, there's a meeting after this for about 15 minutes with Andrew. He's going to tell you our principal way that we try to do this. It's through our community groups. If you don't know what that is, come listen to him tell you. If you're interested in hosting, he would love to sign you up for that because we need hosts. Sorry, that wasn't in here. God wants to be in an intimate relationship with us. And what David is crying out here is for that intimacy with God. In his book, The Four Loves, uh, C.S. Lewis has a chapter on friendship. And he talks about how he had this, and some of you will know that C.S. Lewis had this really, really tight circle of friends, right? And they read together and they talked together and they drank beer together and they had a big time in England at that time. And, and, and he has this chapter on friendship. And in there, he, he says this. 
He says, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. All right, think, think about it. So you've got a group of friends. And he says, in each of my friends, there is something that only, that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, he says, I am not large enough to call any person completely into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all the facets. And then he tells his story. He talks about one of his friends past. He said, now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, far from having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. For those who have lost a beloved friend, you know that sensation. You know what it's like to, to be part of a circle or a group of people and to have one of those people leave and it impact everyone else in the circle. You end up losing a piece. You see, it takes a group of us to truly know an individual, to truly know the whole person. And here's what Tim Keller says. To make, he makes the point that, that if that is true of a human being, how much more must it be true of God? You can't really know God by yourself. You can't know God unless you are in deep community. You can only know a little piece of God by yourself. And the part that you see, as it were, is a part that you're holding back from other people who need what you have. And you need what they have. It's an intimacy it's in the intimacy of God's people. It's in the presence of the people of God. So the people sitting around you right now, it's in the presence of one another that we are drawn into what we so desperately need, what David so desperately wants, that real intimacy with our Lord. You see, it's in knowing our needs. It's in confessing our needs and being honest with our needs that we can boldly call upon the name of the Lord our God to do what he has promised to do. And here's the third thing. Here's the third thing that this Psalm of Lament reminds us about all real relationships is that they are all, always built on trust. And listen, trust is a choice. It's a choice that we learn to make through time and experience. Look at verse 5. He began by questioning the Lord, but he lands somewhere else entirely. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. A few years ago, I was going through a, a season with some struggle, um, and I've, I've, I felt this just sense of being alone. Some of you, some of you know that feeling, like you're surrounded by people, but you feel like you're alone in a crowded room. And and some of you have known me for a long time. You might be thinking, "Well, I don't remember him going through that phase," and and think I'm making it up to try and have a good sermon point. Um, but the reality is, you wouldn't have known because I'm really good at hiding that. I had like 40 years of experience in hiding my fears, right? So, I mean, I'm like varsity level hider at this point. And that's on me because I was stupid and I was selfish and I was afraid to let people see me in those moments of weakness. And I was talking with a friend. This is interesting. Now, I was talking with a friend about it long after the fact. This was just a couple weeks ago. And, um, and it was just sort of in passing. Like, we didn't set up the counseling session. We weren't planning to have this conversation. It was just in the flow of the conversation. I was expressing this to him. And, um, 
And he said, he said this, he said, man, I'm sorry. I wish I could have been there. And without even thinking, and this is pretty rare for me, I just shot back. I, I mean, it was, it was not nice. I shot back with, well, where were you? Just like that. Man, I really wish I could have been there. Where were you? Anybody ever respond like that? No, just me? Cool. Um, I'm that guy. I'm a really bad friend. Um, well, where were you? I'll never forget for the rest of my life what he said to me. He said, man, I was just waiting on you to call. And we both sort of like did that sort of like, mm, like kind of, mm, good one, you win. Checkmate, right? See, I was scared at that time. I was scared of being limited. I don't want to be limited. I was scared of being seen as weak. I don't want to be seen as weak. I was scared of not being enough. One of my greatest fears, and the enemy knows right where to come after us, doesn't he? Like he knows right in your heart where to come and try and get at you, to try and get you to retreat, to try and get you to pull back. And that's what I was doing. And I was scared and afraid to trust him with who I am. He was waiting This has helped tremendously to inform my relationship with the Lord. Sometimes God allows us to go through these seasons so that we can remember who He is. So that we can, so that we will turn and call upon Him in our time of need. You know, Israel, here's what Israel, Israel never did well with blessing. You ever thought about that? I mean, they never did well with blessing. When things were good, when they were comfortable, they always, they always, in those moments of comfort, they always drifted from the Lord, right? And that's sort of the natural flow of our lives. When we're in times of plenty, it's, it's drawn to ourselves. It drifts to ourselves. It drifts to our circumstances. It drifts to, we drift to our desires. If things are so good, now's the time. Man, we've got to strike while the iron's hot. We drift to ourselves. But in those times of need, right, those times when we're at the end, that's where David is. He's at the end here. He feels completely alone. Those times when we're at the end, that's, that's when we need to remember to look to the Lord. It's like, like, I never look for gas stations when the tank is full. Have you ever thought about that? It's only when the needle starts to point to empty. It's when that little orange light comes on that says distance till empty and it doesn't have a number. That's like the most terrifying thing that happens. I don't know how much further you got, bro. It's time to find a gas station. We're like looking for a Costco or whoever's below four bucks. No, it's when I get to the bottom of the tank. It's when I'm empty. That's when I start to open my eyes and look for help. What David is recognizing here is that the Lord has always been there. He didn't take a vacation. He didn't go on break. He went at folly for the day. He's always been present. You see, the Lord is the true and better friend, even better than my friend who waited on me because the Lord doesn't wait. He doesn't wait for the call. He's always present. And so David, having come to the Lord in this, in this prayer of lament, this pouring out his soul before the Lord in honesty and transparency and authenticity, so much of what is missing in so many of our relationships today, he comes to recognize this simple truth. Here it is, that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. That's, that's David in Psalm 34. I know that's not Psalm 13, but David, the same guy says that in Psalm 34, that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He remembers as he prays that the Lord saves the crushed in spirit. 
David's going to confess that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. In his book, Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller says this. He said, if you want God's grace, all you need is need. If you want God's grace, all you need is need. If you want God's grace, all you need is need. And then he says this, and I love this one. He says, all you need is nothing. That's what David has been brought to realize once more. He's realized once more the steadfast love of God and the grace of salvation. He's learned not just to, that there's a command to trust in the Lord, but the truth that the Lord is trustworthy. And what's his response? Did you see it there at the end? I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. What's his response? Man, he's singing. He's praising. Don't let the unanswered prayers of today rob you of the joy of your salvation. In Christ, the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. He has given you that grace. He has welcomed you in. He's called you a son or a daughter of the king. And so you can trust him with all your heart because he paid for all of you. See your present reality and remember who died for you. Don't lose sight of that. Remember who is for you. Like that is salvation's song right there. That's both what and why we sing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your, your goodness to us. Forgetful, fearful, running from you. Us, <laughs> me. Lord, I pray that as we walk with you in this life, that you would cultivate in us an honesty with you. Help us to rest in the certainty of our salvation purchased at the cross. And Lord, help us to practice that with one another. As, as was prayed earlier, Lord, help us to proclaim this good gospel news to one another because we are forgetful. That tomorrow morning is going to come. The list of things we have to do is still going to be there. Help us not to forget that you're there with us too. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.